0: One of the things that is gonna work for us, that I feel is gonna work for us to get through this transition effectively is is partnerships, working with the government, working with our customers, and also working with, with other stakeholders. This is the Electric Perspectives Global Circuit, where we discuss the trends shaping our electric future. Here's your host, EEI Vice President for International Programs, Lawrence Jones.
1: Hello again, and welcome to EEI's Global Circuit Podcast. My name is Lawrence Jones, Senior Vice President at EEI. Today, we're delighted to have as our guest, Mrs. Ruth Forbes, President and CEO of Fortis TCI. Ruth, welcome. Thank you, Dr. Lawrence. Thank you for having me. Well, Ruth, let's begin. First of all, a lot of the listeners to this podcast around the world Uh, may not know much about Fortis TCI. In fact, they may not even know much about TCI or Turk and Caicos in general. So can you tell us a little bit about the company and even about the island?
0: Okay, thank you. Thank you again. A little bit about Turks and Caicos Islands. Well, Turks and Caicos Islands used to be one of the best kept secret. It's now a very popular tourist destination. We are located southeast of the Bahamas. um, We also are made up of 40 islands and keys with eight inhabited islands, and we are British dependent overseas territory with a population of around 55,000. Our currency is also the U.S. dollar. I would say we have a very rich cultural history, um, also with economic traditions around fishing, farming, salt mining, and also trades between between the islands. Um, The economy itself is largely tourism-based, With the majority of our visitors coming from the U.S. and real estate and construction is also some very important contributors to the GDP of the Turks and Caicos Island. And one of the things that we we are also heavily focused around diversifying our economy, more so around the financial services area of of the economy. A little bit about Fortis TCI. Fortis TCI is the, the public electricity supplier to the Turks and Caicos Islands. And we we serve approximately 16,700 customers across the chain of islands. And Fortis began its operation in the Turks and Caicos Islands in 2006. We were previously owned by a family. I personally joined the company in, in 2006, about a month after Fortis would have purchased the company. I got to see what I would call a full transformation of the utility. the CCI is now a a very modernized utility, and that offers one of the most reliable services in the Caribbean in line with North American standards. We we are also big on operational excellence. We are invested in people certified. We are ISO certified for many of our, our business systems. But one of the unique things about us is we are an island utility. And we are not attached to a national grid. And that, of course, comes with its own sets of, of challenges and and, and and opportunities as well.
1: That's interesting. So, so I want to talk about Fortis TCI in terms of history, because if I'm my, if my recollection is, is accurate, you were the first female president of, of Fortis TCI. Is that correct?
0: Yes, I'm the first female president of Fortis TCI, as well as the first local to be in this leadership position. So,
1: so tell us, how, how did you feel when you found out that you were about to take on this monumental task of running an island electrical system and all the challenges that it brings? How, what was your mindset and how did you prepare from day one? Thank
0: you. Thank you, Dr. Lawrence. So interesting enough, I, I joined the company in, in 2006, just after it was acquired by Fortis Inc. So I would have grown up with the company through a time of great change and challenge in transitioning from a family-owned enterprise to a modern utility that we have today. I took over the CEO's role in 2020, which is right at the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, which, as you know, came with its own sets of challenges. And looking back, I can say that in many ways, I would, I had been prepared for the role. I came up through the ranks, having started as Assistant Manager of Financial Services and progress to Senior Vice President of Corporate Services and CFO, prior to being appointed as President and CEO. So I had many and varied responsibility throughout my tenure here at Fortis TCI, which helped me, in a sense, to prepare to lead the organization. In addition mm. to you know, being someone who was promoted from within, I also had a strong support system from within, and also at Fortis Inc., they also provided a very very strong support system. So that was also beneficial for me. One of the things that drives me as well is faith and family. And that also strengthened my sense of purpose being um, assigned to this role. It also helped me to prepare mentally. So I can say as I approach the role, I approach it with a level of confidence and also with with purposeful complimentation that you know I, I was the one that was chosen. And you know, just really focus on on doing the right thing and and mm-hmm. also to keep um, a posture of continuous learning and keeping the customers at the forefront, keeping our employees at the forefront. So it was a very heavy responsibility,
1: but I felt like I was prepared. What is interesting, you know I've obviously I've visited TCI Fortis TCI before, and what what really impressed me is the the humility with which you you you, you govern the organization and and I think it's it's it speaks to the success you're having with your staff and your team but let's get straight into one of the biggest challenges i think it's facing not just you know Fortis tci but a lot of people around the world today are dealing with the unpredictability around climate change and all the challenges that it's bringing uh, obviously you know uh, tci uh, is one of those caribbean uh, islands or countries that have been really at at the forefront of having to deal with the issues around climate change. So talk a little bit about the response. You know, how has TCI, Fortis TCI prepared itself to be able to deal with these increasingly big storms we've seen around the world? And just how do you guys prepare your system and your people to respond?
0: Thank you for that again, Dr. Lawrence. And you're right, Um, Turks and Caicos is situated within the Atlantic Hurricane Basin, and hurricanes are a risk that we pay keen attention to at all times. In in recent years, we have experienced, of course, the fury of two major hurricanes. I can vividly remember the hurricanes Armor and Maria in 2017, which hit us within a two-week span. Armor and Maria came as a Category 5, and we, we would have suffered extensive damage to our TD system, of course, the financial impact of the restoration was also um, significant. One of the things that worked well for us during this time was being a part of the Fortis Group, being a part of the mutual assistance program that operates within the group. So we had very good support from, from the Fortis Group. We had over 200 persons that came in during the time of the restoration, and we also as an organization, we have a very rich culture of, of business continuity. Our business continuity management system is ISO certified. So we 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 prepare all year round for this and we 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 guide our investments, are guided accordingly, our people are, are trained and developed to be able to address the, the business continuity needs of the organization. And also it's one of our major risks in our risk profile. So it's something that we are continuously looking at and addressing to ensure that we have the right mitigating um, factors in place.
1: You know, when I have these conversations with CEOs around the world, one of the things I find interesting is whenever I ask them a question I'm going to ask you, they almost become very shy and humble because I'm asking them, what has been one of the major milestones under your leadership at Fortis DCI? And this is a question I ask a lot of them, and they're like, what do you mean milestone, right? But, you know, it it has been a tough job with all the hurricanes and all the transformation. So when you look back, what would you say would be one of your, you know, key major milestones for the company since you took the leadership?
0: Well, Dr. Lawrence, um, I I had to reflect quite a bit on that that one as well. (laughs) In um, terms of milestone, what I would say is that we have been in a constant state of change, as 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 you would have, as you would know. Some brought on by the pandemic, others caused by just to the shifting dynamics of of the the utility business model, and just really in the center of a, a transition to cleaner, greener sources. When I took over we took the time as an organization to do some introspective look at where we are as the utility and how are we going to, to make this transition and really what 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 is our purpose for being here what is our purpose of the day purpose of the time um, so we we spend a lot of time looking at that we, we there was a big focus on on our people strategy because we recognize that without people. Um, the energy transition just will not happen. We did a comprehensive revamping of our our people strategy, focusing on the the employee experience. And of course, that area underwent um, significant challenges during the pandemic. Um, The workforce is not the workforce of of 2019. It's a different workforce. So we took all of that into consideration. And we have um, strengthened and developed that area significantly to to really undergird the future of the organization. As I said, we, we, we are we're at a point now, continuing on with that work, we're at a point where we were able to develop our corporate purpose. And this is something that we are very enthusiastic about. Um, it's going to be central to how we transition energy, how we address the various strategies and the approach that we take, both in the long term and the short term. So step by step, we we had to do that sort of a assessment, really take, taking a, a look at, at where we are today and where we need to go. So a lot of focus was was on that during my early days as the CEO.
1: Yeah, I remember when I when I visited TCI, Fortis TCI about two years ago, but a year ago, I guess. It was interesting to see the energy in the room with your staff and everybody was sort of getting involved in this process of change and the culture change within the company. But you mentioned COVID, and I wanna talk a little bit about how you were able to navigate all the disruptions we've had over the last three years. So we had COVID, we had the, you know, we had the financial crisis facing the world. We had the energy crisis in Europe uh, last year. Uh, We had the supply chain crisis, which we still have. Obviously, the the war in Ukraine brought a lot of challenges to the world. So so how has Fortis TCI, under your leadership, been able to navigate all these challenges and still keep the lights on?
0: we we did a fairly good job at that dr lawrence when one of the challenges that we had when covid hit us is that we lost a significant amount of our revenues because we are a tourism based economy so all of the hotels were closed um the commercial businesses were closed so that in itself you know came with its own set of challenges but what worked for us as an organization was just the uh, having a good, strong workforce. That allowed us to to really get through this time together. We were able, as as an organization, to, once the vision was set, our whole purpose was to, you know, ensure that our our employees are safe, first and foremost, and that we continue to be able to deliver that level of service. So it was really, um, Dr. Lawrence, the commitment of the team, which is one of our values, the strong commitment of our team and and, and understanding what, you know, what, what the true purpose and responsibility. And that really drove the successes that we had during the COVID-19 pandemic.
1: I'm always intrigued when I visit island nations like Turkey and Kerkos or New Zealand, how because it's an island, people have the tendency to work closer together because they have nowhere else to go, you know, (laughs) so they're forced to collaborate. I think that's very interesting. I want to move on and talk a little bit about renewable energy. So I know that you have an aggressive goal to have more renewable energy on the island, but we also see supply chain challenges. Uh, We see challenges uh, on the global market. We see the price of, of PV going up. So how are you going to sort of deal with some of these goals where there's a push to more renewables, but then the price is going up, and then you also want to keep the cost of electricity affordable for your citizens? So how do you balance these three challenges: supply chain, cost going up, and then affordability for your customers?
0: It's something that that is top of mind for us in terms of how we how we transition, particularly also being an island island nation, where we rely heavily on imported goods. Essentially, everything is imported into the Turks and Caicos Islands. We are currently following um, uh, what we refer to as resilient um, national energy transition strategy, which calls for 33% renewable energy penetration by 2040. So that is what we are following in terms of, of planning. The risks are there, particularly around supply chain challenges. Um, we don't, as, as a small island, we 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 don't have um, direct access like some of the other um, major economies of the world. One of the things that is going to work for us, that I feel is going to work for us to get through this transition effectively, is is partnerships, working with the government, working with our customers and also working with with other stakeholders. So I feel like partnerships is, is going to be a big part of us successfully um, navigating this space. So let, me, let me give you an, an example. The renewable energy penetration that we're seeking to, to achieve, it requires a massive amount of land, a, a way to achieve that is to partner with, with private citizens, partner with, or partner with the government um, to, to in order for us to reach that goal. So really taking a fresh look on how we operate, taking a, a fresh look on our business model with the overarching um, um, view of of in, ensuring that we keep at least costs, ensuring that the system remains reliable um, in in the transition.
1: So yeah, so you know you you've talked Ruth about the multiple islands that you have to serve, and obviously when you hear island, first thing that comes to mind for a lot of people are the need in the use of microgrids. So is there an area, is that an area where Fortis DCI is focused on the use of microgrids? Can you just share some thoughts about that?
0: Yes, Dr. Lawrence, that is an area that we are focusing on. Um, as a matter of fact, we have two um, projects on the go for microgrids in, in the islands. Um, by 2024, um, the island of North Cacus would be powered 30% by um, renewable energy, solar, and also um, Sol Key will be powered 100% by renewable energy. So that is an area that we are, are, are also investing heavily in. And, and based on our integrated resource plan, microgrid was, was one of the, the, the feasible and practical means of diversifying our energy mix. So we are we are working the plan in that regard.
1: You mentioned customers. And I want to go and talk about one thing that I've been monitoring about Fortis DCI for, for the last couple of years, especially, you know, I see it on LinkedIn, I see it when I read the newspaper, is your community initiatives. You seem to be very involved in the community. In fact, I saw you and your, I think, your chief uh, uh, your chief operating officer, you visited one of the communities uh, not too long ago. Talk about this community engagement. Why is it so important that you have this sort of uh, rigorous, I mean, you're in the schools, you're in the colleges, I mean, you, you're all over the place as a company. Why is that so important?
0: I believe it's important for sustainability. Our community programs is typically focused around youth education, youth development, anything youth or education focused for the CCI is a big proponent of that. So we 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 do a lot around whether it's the schools, we have um, we, we conduct science fairs. We, we support STEM initiative or STEAM initiatives. Um, we, we invest heavily in sports. Um, we have a football um, program that is uh, that is hosted throughout the islands. And we we see that as as a as a major part of our success here in the Turks and Caicos Island, ensuring that we are contributing to the future. Mm-hmm. And that's the way that we that we do it. We do it through investing in our young people essentially. We have several apprenticeship programs that our young people, high school students as well as college students, are able to to tap into and, and many of them become, you know, we we're hopeful that many of them will become future employees. Um, We've had some successes there. And mm-hmm. you know, we'll we'll continue to 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 make that investment in our young people.
1: Yeah, and you know, I have a few more questions because this is this is going good as we're talking. You're giving me more ideas for more questions, but but there is one that I think is important. You mentioned risk, right? And we we're all talking about the energy transition. It's going to bring a lot of risk, a lot of opportunities too, but a lot of risk, right? So from a from a from a small country, uh, you know, just talk about what are some of the other risks that concerns you the most as you look at. The move towards greater renewables, energy transition. Besides the supply chain, what are some of the other risk factors that that you are concerned about as the CEO?
0: Well, one of the the risks that I'm I'm concerned about, Dr. Lawrence, is um, is the cost, the cost of the transition, and not um, managing that cost in in, a, in an effective way, and not not managing it in a practical way, not doing what is best for the local environment as opposed to a strategy that may be successful in another island. But, you know, not looking at our unique features as an island nation, as the Turks and Caicos Island, as an archipelago of islands. So that is one of the things that that concerns me, not, not really, in terms of the transition, not really focusing in on who we are as, as a country and looking at our specific needs, and addressing it from that. And also not taking, taking a comprehensive integrated approach, um, understanding that one, one aspect may trigger another reaction. Um, if, if we decide to say, for example, understanding the connectivity between costs and reliability, cost versus reliability, resiliency, and just really striking striking that right balance, Dr. Lawrence, not, mm-hmm. not striking that right balance, um, mm-hmm for us here in the Turks and Caicos Islands.
1: Yeah. Uh, you know as you mentioned islands I think people should remember it's not just one it's it, there are many islands that you mm-hmm. have to you have to uh, ma- manage and electrify some are much bigger some, I mean, some are much smaller than yeah. where your head office is based that creates some of its own challenges. Look, I want to I want to wrap up with with two other questions and I want to first get into one I think is very interesting. Today we hear a lot of leaders around the world encouraging their employees to have a work-life balance. It's almost a new buzz phrase, work-life balance. All the time you hear that, right? So, so how do you get that balance? When you're now worrying about keeping the lights on in the country all the time, how do you create work-life balance for you?
0: Dr. Lawrence, for me, my 12-year-old son, <laughs> I have a Gen Z, so okay. my 12-year-old son helps me to you know, stay grounded and, and strike the right balance. When I'm not focused on 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 work or or as you would as you coined it, keeping keeping the lights on, family is important to me. So I spend a lot of time with with with, with my family, um, precious time with my family. I, I'm also um, involved in um, philanthropic work um, with with women and and young ladies. I I have a uh, an organization that is called Jules Blaze. So I spend I spend um, quite a lot of um, time there as well, focusing in on those efforts.
1: No, I think family is important, like you said. I mean, I'm sure I've told you, you have a 12-year-old son, I have a 12-year-old daughter. And they should sure know how to keep you grounded because the mm-hmm. questions they ask you sometimes are completely yes. uh, surprising. Like, where is that one coming from? Mm-hmm. Uh, so so I, I completely share that, that perspective. You know, to wrap things up, uh, Ruth, i like to fast forward to, say, the year 2050. Uh, a lot of the goals, I know even TCI or Turkey kerkos Islands have goals for 2035, 2040. So let's go to 2050 and maybe just try to maybe imagine from your perspective, what kind of world do you imagine would exist on the Turk and Kerkos island by the year 2050? And, and maybe you can just talk about what are the things that concerns you about that world that may be coming in the next three decades? And what really gives you hope and excitement about where you see Turk and Kerkos headed for the next three decades?
0: Well, I, I I believe the Turks and Caicos has a a very bright future. When I saw this question, I, I thought fast forwarding to twenty fifty, my son, back to my son, he <laughs> would be, he would his, his generation would be the leaders, right? So we yes. we, we would have um, gone through through that phase. The the next generation of leaders and this generation of leaders, they they are, they are bold, Dr. Lawrence. They are passionate. They're very intuitive and and they are very purposeful. So that's one of the things that encourages me about the, the future of the world or the future of the Turks and Caicos Islands. I do believe as respect to, to, to climate change, we and the climate change risks, we would have a world that is that is much more aware and also more in tone of, of you know, the, the real impacts of climate change. So um, there would be more discipline around it. I, I, I hope I'm not being hopeful, but I, I, I do see as time progresses and you know, a lot of the programs and strategies that countries and, and other nations are talking about will already be be implemented and we would have made made some advances, um, significant advances in, in that area. But um, it, it, it's, a, it's an exciting world and a world that, you know, that is um, more reliant on technology. Um my son will probably by the time he's ready to to, to drive, he'll be driving an electric vehicle. Maybe in 2050, they wouldn't, it would, they would be flying. Who knows? Enough, <laughs> but, <enough. laughs> but um yeah, so lots, lots more, more technology, AI at the front, at the mm. forefront. Um,
1: so it's it's definitely um something to look forward to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I'm sorry, but you use a word that I have to come back to because you said AI, and I just wanted to ask you in terms of innovation. I know AI. I just specifically, have you have you seen your employees latch on to using more technology as more of these technologies are brought to bear in in the workplace? Are you seeing more and more use of you know more technology by your staff?
0: Yes, yes, we are, and um, we this itself is is also. Um, you know, um, heavily relying on technology. Um, Our our employees um, typically embrace, you know, the trends um, and and that that is happening. So so I would say yes to that,
1: Dr. Lawrence. Mm -hmm. Okay, good. Well, listen, uh, Ruth, this has been fantastic. I do have a last question to ask you. I know I said it was my last, but when you were speaking, I just, something popped in my mind. So I know you, you, you're very engaged in the community and you, you, you have a, uh, philanthropic activities around uh, around uh, girls. So what do you think we need to do more as a global industry to attract more women to the energy sector? Because besides yourself, there are a few female CEOs in the Caribbean. There are a few even in the US. So how do we get more female uh, CEOs or CEO engineers uh, in the industry? What do we need to do to get more women in our industry?
0: I, I think the uh, continued um, de- de- being deliberate about it being continuing to be intentional about it and mm-hmm. really um, just proving that that the opportunities exist once people are in you you give them a chance similar to what what happened to me you know my organization um, poured into me gave me a chance and here I am today so it, it it's, it's really about um, making also making that connection making that 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 genuine connection and following it through um, consistently, whether it's the employees' um, career, just really being consistent about it and and continuing to to ensure that you know women know that there's there's a space for them and and for for the women who are already um, in leadership roles, you know, reaching out to to other females, um, mm. to, to the women and girls, and letting letting them know that it can be done. Women lending their voice more to the space.
1: Well, thanks, Ruth. It's been a pleasure having you on the Global Circuit, and uh, and I wish you all the best in your continued leadership of Fortis DCI. Thank you for having me, Dr. Lawrence.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Electric Perspectives Global Circuit, an EEI International Programs podcast. For more episodes, subscribe to the Electric Perspectives podcast wherever you get your podcasts, or visit eei.org slash international.